I've tried to sit down to edit before with the, yeah. why why is it so loud? <laughs> it's so fucking loud. <laughs> Say something. Test. No, it's too quiet. <laughs> That's a bit better, yeah. <laughs> See exactly That's exactly where it was a second. No, it was like super loud. Like even the sound of the fan behind you was really loud. And the gain's not up any higher. Um but anyway, I've tried to um edit with my glasses on before and I can't get comfortable with these type of headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> Long story short. Yeah. <laughs> way to way to really bring that conversation. And here we back are. <laughs> Didn't leave me hanging at all. Grinding halt. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting mistakes for me. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the woman in the red dress, Kristen Bloom. This is a burnt orange. You should probably have your eyes checked. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so this is why, how's uh, your week going? This is why you couldn't fly in the Air Force. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's going. How's your week going? I'm having a great time. I'm having a nice, relaxing day. It's a little warm outside. Uh, that um, I'm not a fan of. It's supposed to get up into the hundreds. Didn't come to Montana for 100 degree weather. It's not. I what don't I... think it got that warm at all last summer, did it? I no. don't remember being in the hundreds. <laughs> it got close. I think we got up until like the mid 90s, but we're supposed to be at like 105 <laughs> over the weekend. Gross. Yeah, but I'm getting a nice tan in. I'm not. That's not fair. <laughs> Do I have a topless Jeep? <laughs> yeah, but even if I went and stood outside, I'd just be a lobster. <laughs> you just turn pink. Just be married to a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so we've been uh, watching a lot of movies recently, and The Penguin Show, which we fucking started last night. I can't remember the fucking title of I am way too emotionally invested in that. Yeah. <laughs> like, way too emotionally invested in that. It's way better than I thought it would be, because, like, they actually have penguins that they specifically follow around. Yeah, so they give them names. Yeah, and it's like little characters on the show, and I am far too invested. Mr. and Mrs. B. <laughs> Pretty cool. Pretty solid. I was shadow boxing when the penguins started fighting each other. I was like, man, he moves like Tyson. He's just coming Get in. Get him, B. <laughs> Get him, B. Get him, B. <laughs> so I like the penguin show. Um, and we've also been watching a lot of uh, a lot of movies recently. You guys might have noticed that we've slowed down the pace uh, a little bit. We're trying to like realign some shit, figure out how we want it to work. But uh, we've been watching more of the classic type films. Um, good film which we you know strayed away from for years uh, to watch the two store two store <laughs> films um and most recently we knocked out the john wick trilogy we made it through two of the resident evil movies and then just quietly quit that <laughs> well, no, we're, gonna, we're gonna do the other oh, two you, you do want to do the other yeah. two? Oh, okay i thought we collectively agreed that oh my god these are garbage no we gotta keep going <laughs> well we can start there uh, <laughs> how do you think it compares to the john wick movies because, like, it, it, they're both over-the-top, like, action films. And granted, we haven't seen three and four, but I doubt they're going to get really smart really fast. Um, but the the Wick movies felt more adult than the Resident Evil films. The Resident Evil films are, like, in, like a fantasy situation. So, yeah. I mean, you can only be so serious with zombie dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a giant... The liquor. Yeah, yeah. I forgot that. I forgot how cheesy that was. I didn't remember any of the bizarre monsters being in the first movie at all. I thought the first movie was just the zombies. 
Well, like the, yeah, the people and the dogs, like the people mm-hmm. in the facility who had been turned. I thought that outside of the Red Queen, I remembered like all of her stuff. But yeah, I thought the only monsters in the first movie were the basic ones. And then they started mutating mm-hmm. like as it went on and you started seeing some of Umbrella's experiments. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could have done without the liquor. He looked pretty cheesy. <laughs> he did not look intimidating at all. Yeah, and Nemesis shows up in the second film. I think it's Nemesis, right? I'm not sure. I think so. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they ever... Is that the guy you were talking about, though? The big yeah. Guy? Yeah, I think that is Nemesis, because I think they do say that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, even that... Well, because ma- you could tell his was, like, makeup they had put on yeah. him. Like, his looked a little bit better, because it looked a bit more like there was a person standing there and mm-hmm. not really shitty CGI, but... Yeah, it was a bit Terminator-esque, like, I'm going to stop around and just shoot shit. I like that he was able to, like, fuck everybody up except for that one guy. <laughs> he just, like, drills up the whole team with his minigun and then doesn't hit the civilian Terminator mm. style. That was pretty solid. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, I'd like to keep going because I think the, if I'm remembering correctly, um, I feel like the storyline for the second one is maybe less interesting mm-hmm. than the third one just because it's them just running around the town trying to get out of the town. Mm-hmm. And I think by the third one, they're actively trying to fight Umbrella. Yeah, I think they're mobile in the third one. Yeah. No, one of them is like in a desert and they've got the fucking crows, which are pretty fucking cool, and they're driving around in the uh, the school bus that they've up-armored. And... Yeah, and then I remember the fourth one. Like, special effects-wise, gets pretty ridiculous by the time mm-hmm. you get to the fourth one. But it's still... A bit more like we're trying to fight the bad guys where the second one's just it's a bit like a video game movie Mm -hmm. like it's just like we gotta find the kid i've got to do a backflip off the motorcycle spin around and like fire off six rounds like it's the matrix (laughs) i don't know that i would say um more adult though because i feel like i don't know i feel like they're both kind of like just like action movies john Mm -hmm. wick feels a bit more like maybe it could really happen to someone yeah I mean, Where Resident of, Evil is like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, like outside of the hotel and stuff, like he did all that training to do most of what is actually happening. So he's doing his own stunts. So it could technically go down like that if you really piss Keanu off one day. And he gets hurt a lot more. Like the only time uh, Alice gets hurt is uh, at the end of the second movie that we've seen so far. She mm-hmm. gets like impelled and then somehow survives that. <laughs> well, she's a clone, right? So don't they just keep replacing her when she dies? No, they like healed her. Oh. No, she's a. I don't. She might. She might be a clone. I don't really remember what her backstory mm-hmm. is, but I, I think she's just a regular person that they infected with the virus, and now she's superhuman because of it. Hmm. But still, I feel like you get impaled by a giant pole. You're not likely surviving. Yeah, then I would know because I have a tiny pole. <laughs> and, and you are still alive. <laughs> but they're fun. Like, the rest Because I think people, like, associate the movies as kind of, like, video game movies. Because mm-hmm. it was based off of a video game. So they're kind of, like, fun. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> I just, I don't understand action's need to go so comedically over the top that, like, the plot stops mattering. Like, it's one thing that has forever bugged me about action films. It's going to forever bug me until they, like, redefine the genre somehow. Mm-hmm. But, like, there are examples of, like, deep action. Like, Rambo 
is a deep action. The first one, it gets done. <laughs> the I first think one. Most people that are really into the action genre like that about it, though. They it's, like going to a movie the, where like they can light just beer and pretzels and just forget about the weekend. Yeah, yeah, like they watch or like Michael Bay movies. They like going and watching like pretty chicks and shit blowing up mm-hmm. and feeling like the adrenaline and yeah. not having to think too much about it. And I get it. I think more on the big screen than I do like on the family television like we don't have a massive television so maybe my whole opinion so would change we need to buy a projector and yeah. rewatch Resident Evil <laughs> just from shoot the first it on one the wall. yeah and just sit there and just be like I finally understand <laughs> the Avengers <laughs> yeah I think that's kind of the point like people that are into the action movie genre just want to be entertained and that's why we get Fast and the Furious 27 and yeah. the call of those yeah. Like, the first one has a plot that's actually pretty interesting and then quickly loses any semblance right. of it. Part of that's also probably, uh, it's just a cash cow and yeah. they're out of ideas. At this <laughs> point, they're like, like, get us pretty cars, get us half-naked women, we're blowing shit up. Bring yeah. back Vin Diesel. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, the, I saw a post on instagram earlier today from vin diesel and the way the post sounded i think paul walker's daughter is actually in the latest one i thought you were going to tell me that they faked his death yes. all those years ago yes. and they're finally bringing him turns back turns out he's they, been here all along they're going to do him like a holographic tupac they're gonna put him in the movie. no it made it i wish i i didn't do any research on that i could have just misconstrued uh the text in his post mm-hmm. but it sounded like yeah Paul Walker's daughter is going to be in the next one and I was like oh that's kind of that's cute for the cool. two of them because him and Paul were really good friends that's awesome yeah I, I don't follow Vin Diesel <laughs> <laughs> you were a man of few words today why are you shooting me down <laughs> I'm not shooting you down you're like, like yeah nobody cares no, I, 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 I realized halfway through going I'm going to have this diatribe about action film that, that you're right, exactly right. That the kind of people that like to go to those kind of movies are probably not also interested in the movies I like. Um, but a, how about? Never mind. I was going to say Training Day. We could have our Training Day discussion because we watched that one. It's we one can. of my favorites. I we like can. I, in my head, it's not a bad movie. Yeah, I've probably seen it ten times, and in my head, it's always a lot more violent and explosiony uh, than I realized. Like. In my head, I'm like, and then, like, Denzel just gets in this massive fucking shootout, takes out, like, 15 dudes, you get in the car, black window gets shot out, and then when you're watching it, it's like, well, he, like, hurts somebody, like, every 30 minutes, really. They just kill. Does he only kill one person? He shoots his friend. Yeah. Is that the only person he kills? I think in the that's whole the movie? only person that he kills, like on screen for sure. I know he gets in the shootout with the gangsters, but we don't see any of them go down. Like, then, in the black neighborhood? Yeah, but when he goes and, quote, serves the warrant, and she comes out, and she's like, they stole my money, or whatever. Oh, and He yeah, gets in okay. a shootout with those guys. I thought you meant at the tail end, after um, dude steals his money and leaves, I was like, he didn't have a gun. <laughs> um, yeah, because he has someone else, like hires someone else to kill his friends. So I think, yeah, his own friend's the only person he kills. He's the fucking only one. Yeah, my I didn't realize how many times I said the F word, though. So many fucking times. <laughs> no, like, like like actively watching it, it didn't feel like it happened Yeah, that and then we times. pulled the number up, and it was like 283 times in a two-hour movie. <laughs> Every other word. Every other word was fuck. Get in the fucking car. <laughs> You're in the fucking office. This is a newspaper. It's my fucking newspaper. Yeah, it makes... Uh, 
which I guess is a testament to how good of an actor he is. It makes Denzel very unlikable. Though. Well, that the was whole the time problem. I'm like, you're an asshole. Yeah, that was the problem people had with Training Day when Training Day first came out. It's like they had this image of like our John Q, you know, like the lovable, even when he's being a badass, like we love him. Or he's like trying to avenge something, or he's paralyzed and can't move, you know. <laughs> or he's Malcolm fucking X, and then we Wasn't get he it. Also in the Book of Eli. Book of Eli that came after Training Day, though. But yeah, but there was like this image in America's mind of this lovable sex symbol in Denzel Washington, and then he completely flips the script and becomes an irredeemable demon. Like he, uh, when we were watching it, I was saying he feels like a Satan character. Like he feels like the Antichrist character of the story, you know, kind of like the Al Pacino in devil's advocate mm-hmm. like he, he feels like a representation of the devil i would not have been surprised if at the very end like he grew horns and just like bladed the whole, the whole thing i would be curious to know though if you could pick the mind of the writer if well that dude wrote it all by himself he didn't need any help that's fucking unheard of <laughs> but i would be curious to know if you could Ask the writer, because, you know, usually writers kind of know their character's motivation, even if the story doesn't, like, play out every specific option that Mm -hmm. you have available. They kind of know what type of person their characters are. So I would be curious to know if, because you pointed out, um, because I didn't catch that, the phone call he makes in the car before he has the little heart-to-heart with him is him telling the Mexican gang to make sure that the showers... Yeah, clean the bathtub. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he has this little heart-to-heart with him where he pretends like they're friends. But before that scene, um, he's already freaked out and refused to take the money. Mm -hmm. And Denzel's character's like, well, whatever, I'll hold on to it for you. Yeah. Um, but, like, during their little heart-to-heart, he tries to offer it to him again, and he refuses it again. But by that time, he's already made the phone call. So, at that point, he's definitely already decided he's going to have him killed. Mm-hmm. But I would be curious to know, because he said he's been planning this for weeks or whatever. Yeah. I would be curious to know if from day one his plan was to kill the new rookie, regardless yeah. of how he acted. I've been planning this all day. I've been planning this all week. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'd be curious to know if, like, his character's motivation was he was going to kill the rookie regardless, mm-hmm. or if it depended on how he reacted in that moment. Yeah. Like, if he had taken the money, would he have been like, oh, he's all right, we'll like keep him around? plan is kill the partner, steal his money, kill the rookie, get the rookie's stash, you know, double up my take on this yeah. score. So I, I, w- I would be curious to know what the writer thinks the character would have done. Like, would he have killed him regardless? Did mm-hmm. it matter? Or if he had been a little more crooked, would he have kept him around? I just think it, it's crazy interesting that that entire film, because it is a very complex film, and the more you watch it, the more you pick up on, like, the subtleties uh, that are there. I mean, at the surface, it does feel like Denzel Washington saying fuck, you know, like a whole bunch of times and being a completely unlikable dipshit. But there are levels to the game, you know, when it comes to training day. Um, I, I want to see what that dude's like. I have a whiteboard and I write all my like random ideas. I want to know what his process was for putting all of that together. Like, did he start off with, you know, I'm King Kong and then work backwards <laughs> through the day? He goes, well, all this shit happened, so I need the character. Because he appears. Um, Denzel appears like in the in the diner to be not a likable guy but a competent cop and then we find out that this competency and this confidence that comes out of him is drawn from just complete rampart division level corruption 
So, like, he does some good in the world that he lives inside of, but he is kind of this vigilante, an unlikable vigilante, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting that the um, informant dude that he kills says that he used to be like the rookie, so, Mm -hmm. like... I would be curious to know, again, if the motivation behind that was, was he once, like, legit, like, a good cop, and then he got, like, so deeply corrupted, or was he always kind of, like, a little, like, mischievous? Yeah, because Denzel said, yeah, it was like that for a week or whatever, you know, whatever his deal is, because it didn't take long. Probably his first score, he flipped, and then he's willing, yeah, now he's willing to take out the rookie because he can't trust him in, like, this dark side uh, police force. But he beats a death a dude to death in a casino, and that seems like he has uncontrolled... Uncontrolled rage. rage. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a part of that where it's like, you didn't think, period, even if that was a regular old civilian, that might not have been the best choice. <laughs> That's a good observation that I don't think I've picked up on before. Like, the, the beatdown in Vegas that causes the mob to want to come and kill Denzel's character or get their money by mm-hmm. midnight or whatever. Um... That is just a moment of pure rage. Happens off screen. But we see him as a very calculated guy. Like He's thinking through every little decision. Okay, well, I've just shot Roger. The rookie shot Roger. Rookie's getting a badge. You know, we're getting this money. Everybody's, you know, hooked up. It, it feels like a military operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like it would have honestly made a bit more sense because he seems so obsessed with the payoff. Mm-hmm. If he had just gotten in trouble gambling. Well, yeah. Like, instead of killing someone, if he had, like, racked up a huge debt and then tried to skip town and they were like, no, you're mm-hmm. going to pay the debt or we're going to kill you. I yeah. feel like maybe that would have character-wise made a bit more sense. Well, I think there was something about the gambling debts and then he wound up killing the guy that, like, tried to collect on him. I can't remember why they said he yeah. killed him, to be honest, but... I fucking love training. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's definitely... It's definitely more of a you movie, though. <laughs> you keep saying, you said that. You're like, it's a guy movie. And I was like, I don't, I, Training Day, what does that mean? Because Training Day to me feels like it, like a, a drama. Like, it doesn't feel like a guy film. Yeah, but it's a crime But you said it drama. about, like, Scarface and The Godfather. Yeah, like, those movies are all, like, macho male characters. Mm-hmm. And there's guns and drugs and money. And... You just see drugs and you're like, it's a dude movie. <laughs> Women are not interested in murder. Oh, I don't know how A&E's been on the There are literally no female characters in the whole movie. It's a bunch of Facts. guys. <laughs> it's a bunch of guys. Well, they're women in Scarface, but they get, like, smacked around or whatever. Yeah. But, like, it's a bunch of guys, like, trying to prove how macho they are the whole time. Cause, like, is that what it feels like, too? Yeah, because, like, Denzel's character is purposely constantly asserting his authority, mm-hmm. which... It's because he wants to, he wants the situation to play out how he, you know, has planned it to. So to some extent, there's a motivation behind it. But he like sticks the gun in his partner's face several times for no reason. Like Mm -hmm. he's like calling him like a little boy and stuff, trying to assert himself as the macho figure. So then the rookie like feels like he has to step up and he's like, "Fine, I'll take the drugs. I'm not a little boy," (laughs) you know. So it is. (laughs) It is very much like men trying to prove how manly they are to each other. Damn. I need, I need more female perspective in my life. I, am I learning what toxic masculinity is through a viewing of Training Day? I've never thought of it like that. Like, to me, it's never... I, I, I can tell you what a girl's movie is, and typically it's a romantic comedy. They don't make those for men. But for Training yeah. Day, it was like a multiple award winner. So I just thought everybody liked Training Day. I oh, didn't no, realize It's that. not that I dislike it. And yeah, there are definitely... 
Um, yeah, like rom coms are very much geared towards women, mm-hmm. but I feel like these type of like action drama movies are geared much more towards males because it's these dominant male figures trying to like basically out dominate each other the yeah. whole movie. Um, so is Rocky like a a, a dude movie? I haven't seen it in quite a while, to okay. be fair. I would have to rewatch it. But, uh, Adrian. I'm going to say probably yes, but I'd have to rewatch it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I need like you to. I need like... you to. Yeah, that, because that's a literal boxing movie. It's about two dudes yeah. trying to beat the shit out of each other, and it doesn't feel to me like I'm... like a guy film. I haven't seen Rocky in a while, so like, I would need Fast to and read... Furious to me feels like a guy movie. Yeah, like that, the, 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 but I. I I think I put guy movie on dumb action movie. Like, I just, that's what I think of. And to me, Training Day feels like a smart film. No, guy movies can definitely just be a lot of testosterone. <laughs> they don't have to be dumb. I mean, they're, they're dumb I also flicks. equate dumb with a lot of testosterone. <laughs> they're, <laughs> My they're... testicles are also very small. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're definitely dumb chick flicks, too, and they're smart movies for women and smart yeah. movies for yeah, men yeah. but yeah no I, I think you can definitely have a dude movie that's a smart movie but it's a dude <laughs> movie it's just a lot of testosterone um yeah there's not a lot of testosterone in Rocky like if you if you think about it which I was gonna it's say it's more of like a, a hero's journey type film where he's coming from nothing he just wants to prove yeah. that you know and I was gonna say I haven't seen fight. Rocky in a while so if I watched it I might Reassess, he has but... turtles, which I think cuts a lot of the like. He's got little baby well, turtles. He doesn't even win in the end. Yeah, he so loses. it is it is kind of a story of overcoming you know, for <laughs> like a character. So that doesn't feel like because he doesn't necessarily have to prove that he's the biggest or the baddest. Yeah. It's a story of his overcoming. Yeah. Getting to the fight is more important <laughs> yeah. than the fight. So I'd have to rewatch it, but I would say probably no because I I think that's significant that he doesn't win and it doesn't feel like a loss. Hmm. Like I, I feel like macho male movies, the the male figure needs to be domineering and come out on top. And and that's where I mean Denzel's character is definitely like that in Training Day. But the I'm gonna forget his name. Ethan Hawke. The Ethan Hawke character uh, doesn't feel like the dominant force. Like he feels like the the voice of consciousness in a way where he's like. Should I, shouldn't I? And we're watching Denzel, who's technically the side character, you know. Well, he upfront cares a lot about Denzel's opinion and wants to prove that he's a man to to Denzel. He wants to be a narc. And then he sees the road cop and he personally looks down on the road cop, Mm -hmm. even though the road cop is helping people in need. So I go over there and help him change the tire. (laughs) Yeah, and he, he has a moment where even he's like, no, like that's you know, a lame job. I don't want mm. to do that. And the other person's actually like showing care and consideration and helping someone. And so to some extent, Ethan Hawke's character is also kind of feeding into this. I need to prove that I'm a man. Hmm. And then in the end, he, he survives almost getting killed by a gang. And instead of just going home, he goes back and faces him again and yeah. beats him down and takes the money and leaves him there Takes with gang badge. members. You don't yeah. deserve this. <laughs> to kind of assert his own authority. And then the movie just ends, like, with the radio playing in the background. Like, we established in the forefront that his motivation for wanting to join the narcotics team mm-hmm. is for his family, because they live in kind of a shitty apartment. He's like, oh, yeah, you should see the place these guys live in. And so you get this 
false motivation of he's doing this for his family and then he makes a lot of really bad choices and in the end we don't even like see him reconnecting with his family like yeah i almost died today thank god you're here <laughs> yeah you know? it's pretty fucking wild I, I, around the time he made me smoke pcp i probably should have gotten out of the car and walked home <laughs> yeah so ultimately it's like i'll take getting fired from the police department if the police department's putting up with these kind of shenanigans <laughs> so ultimately at the end of the movie introducing his family is kind of insignificant to his motivation like, at the end of the movie, we don't wrap that yeah. back up. We lose the family the second Denzel tells him to take off his wedding ring. Yeah. Which is, like, good cop advice. But when we never get, like, the ring back on moment and the closure Never see him hugging it. his wife. His wife doesn't call to be like, why aren't you still out? Like, isn't your shift over? Like, yeah. we don't get any kind of a connection back to that. It's just him trying to out-macho the guy that tricked him. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a pretty manly movie. That's it. We're rewatching Training Day tonight. I need to watch it with fresh eyes. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's no, a good movie. No, I, like I, it can I, be a dude movie. I hear what you're saying, but I'm, the, the concept of dude movie, I don't know if you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Man, if I had ruined my own segues. No, the concept of a dude movie is it is the dude is very interesting to me. Um, <laughs> I made myself giggle. I should go back and edit that out. <laughs> the con- edit no, was the, seamless. Yeah, no, the, the, the concept of the dude movie, I guess it doesn't cross my mind because I'm a dude. But, like, you know a chick movie, when you see a chick movie, it's got, like, a, a very certain color to it. And I've just never really thought about that. Like, there are, like, these, quote, toxic masculine characters that exist and it's not every dude or every rise to power film or every drug movie um but it's interesting to hear you know what you think of the dude what i think of the dude is we just watched the big lebowski motherfucker (laughs) that's what i feel did you catch the segue earlier did you guess it are you proud this aggression will not stand (laughs) <laughs> I'd never seen The Big Lebowski. Somehow it had gotten away from me. Ninety percent of my friends are drug users. I've never seen The Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Oh no, he does smoke weed. I was gonna say The Big Lebowski doesn't really yeah, do he's drugs. Just a he does smoke weed though. He just walks around with joints in his pocket. <laughs> but, but the tiniest ones, like he can't actually afford a full one. He always has the butt end of one. But um, that is the main one that I wanted to talk about because we just watched that. I've never watched it, and now I get it. <laughs> I never watched it because I love the Coen brothers in a weird way. It's like I, I've heard so much about this. It's like a cultural thing. I'm afraid to watch it because if I watch it and I hate it, then I have to take back every positive thing that I've ever said about the Coens because they've never made a bad movie. Burn After Reading is fucking awesome. I haven't seen their entire catalog. Turns out they've made like 30 films and I've seen 10 of them. But <laughs> Somewhere in there, there's probably going to be one you don't like. Exactly. But <laughs> like, um, I, they, they, they made my favorite my favorite movie. They, they made No Country for Old Men. So like that is my... My pinnacle, like the Coen brothers are my god. And you said while we were watching The Big Lebowski, it may be your new favorite Coen brothers. Exactly. (laughs) And 15 minutes into it, still got sauce on my fingers from the chicken wings we were eating. And I I think it might be my new favorite movie. It's a lot funnier than I remember. I love it. I remembered it being a bit more silly, and it's actually pretty serious. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot more clever dialogue than I remembered. Yeah, I always thought it was going to be really, really dumb. Because people were like, well, it's a film about bowling and a rug. 
And I was like, well, that doesn't. That's, that doesn't sound like training day. <laughs> and it is about the dude. So I've got a couple of notes here that I want to go over. But first and fucking foremost, um, I fell down the rabbit hole on how this whole thing is like a dialogue on the Gulf War. And how uh, the dude represents the far left. And uh, Walter represents the far right. And the, we'll get all that. The supermarket scene at the very beginning. You remember the supermarket Where scene? He right. Drinks the half and half. Drinks the half and half. He pays for it with a check stamped out a month in advance for oh, sixty nine cents. I didn't check or see the date on it. Yeah, the date on that check. Drum roll, please. Mental drum roll. September eleventh, nineteen ninety one. Huh. His film or their film with a huge theme being talking about the Gulf War and American aggression. He dates the check a decade before 9-11. Weird. Complete coincidence, because this came out in 1998, but that blew my fucking mind. I was watching all these videos, and before the dude could mention it, I paused it, and I was like, does that say September 11th, 1991? Weird. Yeah. Because it's a film... Like, if you remember the closing dialogue where the stranger is like, and then he, you know, I happen to know that there's going to be a little Zabrowski. Not Zabrowski, Lebowski. What? <laughs> there's going to be a little... Too much last podcast. <laughs> too much last podcast. I happen to know there's going to be a little Lebowski. And maybe that's how we perpetuate the human comedy. So, like, we have this massive dialogue about uh, Bush Sr., and then he dates it a decade before the largest event in Bush Jr.'s um, presidency. Wild. What a it's fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> I was like, I think the Cohen, bro- the Cohen brothers orchestrated 9-11 to make The Big Lebowski one of the best stoner films of all time. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Oh, that's wild, though. Yeah. So the, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, because you and I couldn't get enough of it, is, um, and this is one of the more minor points, but Steve Buscemi is in this movie. Philip fucking Seymour Hoffman is in this movie. And they're written off. They're like, go play over there. <laughs> Be the butler. Be the silent best friend. You don't get to bring any of your Philip Seymour Hoffman-ness to this scene. You just walk behind dude and go, well, dude, you can't do that, dude. Her life is in your hands. <laughs> but I, I like that <laughs> his character, like, is at least considerate. Yeah. Like, nobody else will call him what he wants to be called. And he's like, okay, dude, but... <laughs> Like, if he's, like, a very buttoned-up character, like, he's always got a suit on. Yeah, he looks like a six-year-old who just shit his pants through half the film. He looks so silly, like, (laughs) calling him dude, like, in earnest. What do you think of that move? Because we talk a lot about having unnamed, unknown faces um, in film to stop distracting the audience and kind of focus on moving the story forward. This happens Mm -hmm. a lot, specifically in the horror genre. Um, but the use of a very well-known face and having very well-known main cast, because... Um, Where were they at in their careers when this was made, though? Because... Philip Seymour Hoffman? He looked pretty young. Like, had he... Steve Buscemi, in 1998, had probably already been in Reservoir Dogs. Was in Fargo before this one. I thought Philip didn't, like, do bigger movies until he was a little bit older, though. I don't know. Let me Google... Um, but I like I, I think the fact that um, Ushimi's character, because I mean, 
you kind of dived into that with me before we yeah. started the podcast. The fact that his character was kind of a like aggressively side character was probably intentional casting someone more well known. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, so Philip Seymour Hoffman pre ninety eight. We've got uh, Boogie Nights, Scent of a Woman, Magnolia. Uh, da da da. I'm sorry. I don't think he. I don't think he found like his like real fame until he was a little bit older. Yeah. I think you're right. Now looking at the his character was a very intimidating character in his older yeah older age. So maybe you're right, and it's just weird, you know, pre holy fuck that's Philip Seymour Hoffman to see him just playing a butler on screen. But Buscemi was established by '98. Well, I mean, they might have because I mean, some of those movies I think were the ones you just named were um, popular. Um, mm-hmm. They may have still been like, oh, this is like a, a big name person, but at the time, um, what's his face that played Walter? Oh, what is his name? Yep. He, the he, guy from Roseanne. Yeah, I was going to mm-hmm. say, he would have been still doing Roseanne at the time, and yeah. he was very popular. Well, that was in so. the trivias, that they had to put off certain parts because that guy couldn't be there. Mm. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm working so, on this TV show. It's huge right now. <laughs> to be fair, at that time, he probably was technically the more successful yeah. actor. He's a really good pick for, like, and we can kind of dive into the shit that I learned today, but he's a good pick for, like, our Vietnam vet neoconservative character mm-hmm. in the film coming off a show like Roseanne which was very well known for here's the other side here's right wing comedy you know like, well it's interesting too which he's done um, other roles for sure where he was also kind of intimidating and yeah. I know you didn't like the ending but Cloverfield, Cloverfield Lane his character was phenomenal mm-hmm. uh, the ending was a bit dumb but no, um, he can act his ass off I'm not saying anything negative about him <laughs> But, um, no, it is interesting because in Roseanne, technically Roseanne's kind of the one that pushes him mm-hmm. around. And, like, I mean, he has, like, a temper sometimes for sure, but of the two of them, he is not the one in charge. Yeah. So it is interesting to see him, like, be famous in that type of show and then turn around and be this, like, crazy, I'll pull a gun on you! <laughs> in the middle of the bowling alley, I'll shoot this child rapist. <laughs> but you've got the, um... I think the guy who played the dude was like kind of in his stride in the 90s too probably like he had been doing a lot of bigger movies then yeah I think arlington road was in the 90s also but so we've got the dude our far left and we've got walter our neocon in this film that is what i learned today which i caught bits and pieces of it because sometimes it hits you on the nose a bit hard but i watched a lot of fucking things today it tried to break this down for me um So if we think about the film as dialogue for the Gulf War, we have the dude, we have Walter, and we have Donnie, the Buscemi character in the middle. He's supposed to be the silent majority reflected in the way that the American opinion uh, pre and post that speech from George Bush flipped completely around. And so America was like, no, we're not going to go to war in Iraq. And then he was like, this aggression will not stand. And then they were like, we're going to war in Iraq. And it's summed up beautifully around this Persian rug. My, tell me if I stop making sense because I'm trying to break down had, a lot of things. It's <laughs> kind of weird that they had the dude say that line. Yeah, he he says if you pay because he's the hippie. It's the other thing is the dude. If you look at it from scene to scene, is always saying some shit that was said in the last scene. Like he just learned it, so now he has like this thing. So he hears it at the 
uh, supermarket at the very beginning and then repeats it at the very end of the film. He repeats George H.W. Bush's line. This aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> he does, because there's like a... But there's this Persian rug in the middle, right? And that has something to do with Kuwait. I, I can't... I should have written better notes. Um, <laughs> but he, these intruders come in and they piss on his rug. And then he has this moment with Walter in the bowling alley where Walter says another quote from Bush's time, Bush one, uh, where he says, we have to draw a line in the sand, you know, which is what flipped the American opinion again. And you've got this Donnie character in the center and his name is always changing on his shirt and he's always playing for a different team on the back. So he's our every man in the middle of this dialogue about should, or, should we or shouldn't we go to war in Iraq? I'm going to let you lead this. You, you've read I'm the... trying. I'm giving you information and you're staring at me I'm like listening. a dog that just got shown a card trick. I'm listening. <laughs> Very fascinating stuff. I don't have it all down yet. Um, but that's my, my understanding. They, they piss on his rug. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say there wouldn't have been a movie otherwise, but the realistic situation is shampoo your rug. So shampoo you don't, your rug. So you don't get drugged into a whole mess of stuff where your friend eventually <laughs> dies, and you still don't have a rug or money, and they ransacked your house and burned your car. <laughs> Just shampoo your rug. Just shampoo your rug. But don't yeah, there's a, there's a whole theory there that I thought I had a better understanding of, but in reality, I just watched two hours of videos and reading essays, and that's what I got. It has something to do with the Gulf War. <laughs> no, I like I'm... that it's commentary on the American people, so it mm. feels like this crazy hunt for weapons of mass destruction that ends with, oh, there were no WMDs? Eh. Let's get burgers. Go bowling. I like movies like this, but I will be honest, because part of um, my education whenever I was in college was like film theory and like mm-hmm. studying the meaning behind films and stuff like that. I will be honest, when I watch films like this, sometimes it's kind of intimidating to me, because like I feel like people always want there to be a deeper meaning in mm-hmm. everything, and... I feel like, and maybe it's just because I'm still newer to it, the Coen brothers have made much more movies than Mm -hmm. I have and been much more successful than I have. Um, But I feel like if mine have any meaning, they're always, like, fairly surface level. So it's like, you don't have to dig too far to figure out what this is about. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I watch some of these movies, and then people are like, oh, well, this is what it was about. And I'm like, I didn't even see that. Well, (laughs) want to know the one that I did not see at all? Remember, he has the hallucination where he's flying on his Persian rug mm. over Los Angeles. Um, oh, the chick's flying on it. He's just floating. Yeah, he's yeah. that whole sequence there. And then he winds up in the bowling alley with the monstrous tower of shoes and the guy behind the counter is Saddam Hussein. And it says Saddam on his uniform and he's shining the shoes. Right? I did not see that. You missed the Saddam Hussein yeah, I cameo? Didn't, I didn't see the, the tag said Saddam. Oh. <laughs> So the way that it was broken down in this one clip was if you say Saddam the way Saddam's supposed to be said, you say Saddam. You put the emphasis on the double Ds in the middle, and that means the enlightened one. But what George H.W. Bush did was he said Saddam, which translates to shoe shiner. Interesting. So there are levels to this fucking game. Interesting. 
Yeah, I don't think my movies are ever going to be this <laughs> The Coens do not fuck around. Go back to the coin toss flip, watch it a hundred times in a row, you will see something different every single time. There are tiny nooses hanging behind the gas station attendant. <laughs> like literal tiny nooses? Yeah. I think they're literal, there's some sort of looped thing, but they they line the window Hmm. while he's standing in front of the executioner. The Coens, they they, they take no prisoners. They're fucking brilliant. Um, My movies are never going to be this deep. (laughs) Well, I I just wonder what the Coens are like when they're just alone in a room drinking beer together. Like, Like, how do you converse with them? I, I watched an interview where they were like, yeah, we've uh, we we write like four or five movies at a time. So like they wrote this one before they wrote Fargo, or before they shot Fargo. But they got stuck with Lebowski, at like forty pages in, finished Fargo, and then went back to Lebowski. But then they had like three or four other movies, so they just kind of bounced between scripts as they run into walls, <laughs> and then they learn things from the previous film. I wonder what the first movie they ever made was. Like, ever made, or the first one to, like... The first one they ever made. Like, I want to watch that one so I can feel better about myself. Yeah, like, one when they were, like, 12 or 13, and it's on, like, a, you know, an 88. Like, oh, at one point, you didn't get it either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna call them up and be like, can you show me your first shitty film so I feel better about myself? Well, one that I want to rewatch, and I think I have the DVD for it, is Burn After Reading. And a couple of the things that I read were saying, The Big Lebowski is the Burn After Reading pre-9-11. Or Burn After Reading is the post-9-11 Big Lebowski. So, like, it's very similar. And Burn After Reading, uh, Brad Pitt's in it. There's a bunch of fucking people in it, but he plays one of the main guys. He's, like, this enthusiastic fitness instructor. The concept is the CIA agent has written all these memoirs, as he calls them. (laughs) And he's lost his memoirs. And so in this ragtag group of guys are going to go try to find the memoirs just to find out that they're like the ramblings of an Alzheimer's patient more or less but it's a CIA analyst who's lost his intelligence Cohen's do not fuck around um lost his intelligence that's funny and it's arguably the dumbest movie you'll ever watch on first take unless you get the jokes it's hilarious Brad Pitt's brilliant in it because he plays like this way over the fucking top version that you never get to see him do. And he's like running in place and just loves being a fitness instructor. It's I don't think gorgeous. I've ever seen it. It's fantastic. Um, next thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is something that we don't see a lot of in modern film is the use of the stranger, our cowboy character, um, as narrative voice. So he is all-knowing, despite the fact that that would be completely impossible because he's not a member of the friend group. He's just an old man telling stories at the bar. So, like, he knows that there's a new baby on the way, but he doesn't know who the big Lebowski is. (laughs) So he's like our god character in Lebowski. We get this, I'm going to tell you a story. (laughs) And then he tells us the story, technically, and then he closes the story. But he shouldn't have known any of those details. So from a literary element, he is the omniscient narrator. I will be honest, I'm not a huge fan of that. Mm -hmm. It feels very cheesy, and he literally breaks the third wall and looks at the camera and talks directly to the audience. Um, It's the fourth wall. Whatever wall. (laughs) A wall. He breaks a wall. He breaks, he went a wall. (laughs) 
um, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that because then it just feels a bit cheesy. Sometimes, and, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it almost feels like maybe none of it actually happened at all and this is just a story some old man's spinning for you. Yeah, well, that's what I like about it. And they reuse that later with No Country, with Tommy Lee Jones being almost our omniscient narrator. But he doesn't talk to the audience, though. Yeah, he's talking to his wife yeah. both times. But... And I don't mind that so much, but, mm-hmm. like, whenever the person, like, looks at the camera and he's like, I feel better, don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, it, well, it feels like the narrator telling a story to us. So, like, it, it, it pulls you into the world and then goes, all right, story's over. Run along. Get out of here. Yeah, Turn not, your TV I'm off. I'm personally a fan of it. I don't like it. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting take. And my last thing that I have Well, you're you. wrong. Oh, I probably am. But <laughs> that's okay, because now I am a firm... Actually, I've got two more things. All right. The pacing feels like we are moving at the pace of the dude. Like, we linger in a couple of places. We go to a couple of weird spots. There's things that happen for seemingly no reason throughout the film. And we're just kind of slowly walking through a plot that ultimately doesn't exist. (laughs) And then we just leave him in the bowling alley. It's like this big kidnapping that he's supposed to be solving for all this money that doesn't exist. You know, by the end of the thing, we've just been being the dude. But the money does exist. The dad kept it. Yeah, the money wasn't in the briefcase. Um, I do like the way they, like, pace the transitions, though. Like, mm-hmm. whenever he's, like, running in the dream and then he's running outside, like, and the cop car picks him up and stuff. And there's a lot of, like, moments like that. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the fact that every time he tries to meditate and you're like, oh, we're going to relax. And then immediately something bad happens <laughs> to him. The nihilists show up. <laughs> so I, like, I don't know. They give you... I mean, you can kind of see it coming after they do it a few times, but they give you a lot of, like, false sense of, like, you can breathe now, and then it's like, somebody's punching you in the face and stealing your second rug. (laughs) They're lighting your car on fire. They're dressed in leather. Your friend just had a heart attack. You're going to say goodbye to your friend, and then the wind's going to blow the ashes back on you and Walter. (laughs) I can't believe they killed his character off. That is so sad. He's the death of the silent majority. Now everybody has a side. Steve Buscemi dies all the time. He'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is it the perfect stoner movie? I'm not a stoner, so I don't know. Is it? Yes. Um, And my very last point that I have for you. That's it. Yes. (laughs) My very last point. I learned this today, but I think I knew it, and I just never had seen this movie before. There's a religion built around the big Lebowski. It is literally called... Um, the Church of the Latter-day Dude, or Dudism, and I googled it and found some Wikipedia stuff. I think I've heard Dudism, I've never heard Latter-day Dude. It said, it's essentially a modernized form of Taoism stripped of all metaphysical and medical doctrine, according to the Wikipedia page. The dude abides. The dude abides. (laughs) And that's all I got for you guys. I'm going to go make my beautiful wife a beautiful chicken parmesan put on some soft music and dance into the moonlight write a memoir write a memoir (laughs) i love you sweetheart (laughs) and i love you guys the dude abide